The following is a Pro Football Network podcast, the primary voice for pro football at profootballnetwork.com. Welcome into Between the Hashes, a college football and NFL draft podcast here at Pro Football Network. Ladies and gentlemen, we were just several days away from the national championship, Alabama versus Georgia. You're going to have some insight on that from Ian Cummings, our Pro Football Network draft analyst, and Cam Miller. We're also going to have some NFL draft news and some information on some underclassmen from our Pro Football Network chief NFL draft analyst and insider, Tony Pauline, here on today's episode of the show. I'm Cody Work. Now, let's waste no time, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to bring on our Pro Football Network chief NFL draft analyst and insider tony pauline for his weekly spot tony hey it's great to see you here once again how you doing my man i'm okay thanks for having me good to be back with you again Uh, it's great to have your insight as always you know hey i wanted to open up today's show by looking at the the prospects there there's been some talk as to whether or not the ucla bruins will have a new head coach in 2022 i wanted to ask you about this tony but uh, you know from what you have sent over things may not just be completely settled with ucla as many believe i'm eager for a little bit more on that yeah, and I mean, this has been widely reported on the West Coast. <clears throat> you got, to look forward, you got to kind of look back. I mean, uh, Kelly signed a five-year deal in 2017. 2022 is going to be the last season of his contract. There have been some rumblings up until the season, <clears throat> excuse me, that UCLA wanted to get out of the contract. I had even reported that Chip Kelly wanted to move to the NFL and wanted to get out of the contract. Kelly denied those allegations through Bruce uh, Feldman. And what happens is UCLA has a real good season. Now, this is the final year of the contract. And evidently, there were some talks going on between his agent, Jimmy Sexton, and UCLA of extending that contract. It kind of seems to be a stalemate. As one of the West Coast papers said, it's tense times in Westwood. Interesting fact, uh, the buyout clause, if UCLA wants to get out of the contract with Chip Kelly, is $9 million up until January 16th. On January 17th, The buyout is zero. So there are a lot of people who believe that UCLA may go in a different direction after January 17th. That's speculation at this point. But there are some people who have been reported and quoted saying that it's a definite possibility that uh, Chip Kelly may not be coaching the UCLA Bruins next year. Now, here's where it gets a little bit interesting. And this, again, is all speculation and things that are being thrown out there. I spoke with a West Coast football source. And when I say West Coast, this guy's been in the L.A. area for the past 40 years about the situation. He feels there's a real good chance that UCLA could get rid of Chip Kelly. Then if Pete Carroll is fired by the Seattle Seahawks, which looks like a 50-50 proposition right now from what I'm hearing, UCLA could then potentially try and court Pete Carroll to bring Pete Carroll in as the head coach of UCLA. I mean, USC made a big splash with Lincoln Riley, right? Why not UCLA, who really until this year had been in the doldrums uh, of the Pac-12, why not UCLA make an even bigger splash by bringing in Pete Carroll, who had all that success at USC, although some of it was tarnished with NC2A investigations and NC2A uh, suspensions. They They had to return some things. But bringing bring a make a big splash by bringing Pete Carolyn. It's an interesting dynamic that, that's going to be taking place over the next 10 days, really through this uh, January 16th, 17th, where we see what happens with Pete Carroll's job after this final week. And we see if UCLA actually brings back Chip Kelly or lets him go, which uh, I think a lot of people thought in the middle of December was, was not thinkable. 
Wow, well, it's going to be wild times for both the Seattle Seahawks, Pete Carroll potentially, and UCLA. And obviously for the Seahawks, uh, you know, they're going to be playing their final game of the regular season this weekend against the Arizona Cardinals. We'll see how that kind of pans out there for Pete Carroll and maybe his final game in the yeah. NFL. And UCLA, I think, would be a really good spot for him. And obviously for Pete Carroll, you know, it's a different element working in the college game versus the pros. And, and maybe he can continue to turn around that program, which has a lot of talent. I know he'd be a big pull there. You know, and some other things you're going to bring and share with us here today on uh, Pro Football Network Week between the hashes here, Tony, you know, talking about college football players that, you know, have announced that they're going to be staying for another season. You have any word on that and which players that could be? Well, obviously two SEC guys, two pass rushers, Jordan Strachan of South Carolina State, who transferred from Georgia State, and Colby Wooden of Auburn. Now, Strachan is actually using that extra year of eligibility that the NC2A handed all players last year. So he's going back in 2022 for a 60s season, and I think it's it's a good choice by him. He came into the season graded as a potential second-day pick uh, by NFL scouts, but he's yet to prove he's anything more than a good athlete on the football field. Had just, uh, what, six uh, tackles for loss this year and three sacks, and a lot more was expected from him playing on the other side of Kingsley Igbare, who's going to be a top uh, 60 choice. So I think with Strachan, it's a real good decision to come back for the extra year. Same thing with Colby Wooden, who is going to be a fourth-year junior. I had him highly rated coming into the year. Disappointing as far as the stats are concerned, just eight and a half tackles for loss, five uh, sacks. He's got to get a little bit bigger. He's got to get a little bit stronger. You know, I think both of those guys have a lot to gain by returning to school for at least one more year. You know, we saw a lot of people at this point, uh, point in time a year ago were very surprised that Jordan Davis – uh, of Georgia decided to return for a year and look what that's done for his draft stock. Well, and also looking at this earlier on this week, the senior bowl rosters were announced and obviously a very uh, fun, I would say, at least on paper, senior bowl roster for the quarterback position, you know, outside of there, are there any other official announcements by underclassmen in the senior bowl this year? Uh, well, no, we, we had two in Jerome, but Jerome Ford, the running back from Cincinnati and Greg Dolchich, the uh, tight end from UCLA, Jerome Ford's going there to prove I'm told that he can catch the ball. That's what scouts really want to see. Ford has had a terrific year. The former, uh, uh, Alabama transfer who was the running game at Cincinnati this year had an outstanding season. He's a big back with exceptional speed right now. He's my number three back on, on my running back board, uh, Scouts question his ability to catch the football, which is kind of crazy because if you watch the Cincinnati film, whenever they threw him the ball, he caught it, although he was not used as a big pass-catching option out of the backfield. So when we go to the senior bowl, the the thing with Jerome Ford is he wants to prove that he can catch the ball. In those one-on-ones during the uh, full scrimmage, he wants to show that he can get out of the backfield quickly, adjust and catch the ball with his hands, which he did a good job at at Cincinnati. They just didn't ask him to do it that much. With Dolchich, we're going to wonder about his speed. I mean, it's great to see that he's going to be at the Senior Bowl. He is a terrific pass catcher from the aforementioned UCLA Bruins. But with guys like Isaiah Likely there who bring tremendous speed to the field at the tight end position, likely a guy who basically plays the tight end position almost like he's a possession receiver, it's going to be interesting to see how Dolchich's speed matches up to a top-rated tight end like Isaiah Likely. Any other underclassmen news from around the country that uh, college football fans might be interested in? Yeah, Caleb Ellaby officially announced what we had been uh, reporting on this podcast literally since October. He is in the draft. Caleb Ellaby, the quarterback from Western Michigan. I think he's a very underrated passer. I think he's sort of a Josh Allen type in the sense that there's going to be a love-hate relationship with him. If you remember when Josh Allen came out in the draft in 2018, 
There were some people like myself who loved him. There were some people who really bad-mouthed him off what was a disappointing junior season. Same thing with Caleb Ellaby. When he's good, he's outstanding, but he's had a lot of inconsistency in his game. I think he's got a high upside. I have him graded as a third-round pick. I think he could go day three, but with proper coaching, Caleb Ellaby can start in the NFL. The other player to keep an eye on would be Tyler Smith, the uh, offensive tackle from Tulsa, who I'm heard will make an official announcement within the next couple of days. We've talked about Tyler Smith a couple times uh, the past month and a half uh, on Between the Hashes. I've been told all along he's leaning towards entering the draft. In the past couple of days, I'm told he's waiting to get grades from the NFL Advisory Committee and some other sources. There are some teams out there that have given Tyler Smith, the offensive tackle from Tulsa, a first-round grade. I grade him more as a day two pick. He's big. He's athletic. He's strong as heck. He's got to do. There's some fundamental things about his game that I don't like. He's a little bit late and lazy with his hands, which kind of cost him. Did not play all that well against Cincinnati and my Jay Sanders and that that tough Bearcat defense. But will he? Will he? Will hear <clears throat> officially within the next day or two whether or not Tyler Smith of the of uh, Tulsa is going to enter the draft. Well, you know, we see a lot of big names around this time making a lot of announcements about their uh, futures, but any sleepers that people should be keeping their eyes on during this time as well? Yeah, I know Cam is probably familiar with this name. <clears throat> Excuse me. Amani Rogers, the quarterback from Ohio who transferred from Las Vegas. Now, he is turning heads right now in training, not as a quarterback, but as a tight end. He's got terrific tight end size. He goes about 6'4 and a half, 235 pounds. I've heard he's looked insanely athletic. He's training at the same facility with uh, with uh, Thibodeau, Kayvon Thibodeau of Oregon, and he's looked more athletic uh, than Thibodeau. He's going to make the transition from quarterback to tight end. Played at Las Vegas a couple of years, then he transferred to Ohio because the offensive coordinator from, uh, from uh, UNLV uh, transferred to uh, Ohio. Really never developed as a passer, but I'm told he looks really good catching the ball, and he's incredibly athletic, and he's a guy probably going to play in the NFLPA game, may end up getting a late invite to the Shrine game, a name to keep an eye on, and one of those guys who I expect in March will blow up his pro day, and everybody will start talking about him two months from now. Oh, well, you get all that great insight here, ladies and gentlemen, from Tony Pauline on Between the Hashes. He's our Pro Football Network Chief NFL Draft Analyst and Insider. You catch him every single week here on Between the Hashes with the latest news that you need to know to stay informed, especially with the Senior Bowl coming up, a lot of other bowl prospects coming up as well, not to mention National Championship on Monday. Tony, thank you so much for your insight. We appreciate you and hope you have a great weekend. Thanks for having me. Awesome news here, obviously, for Tony Pauline. And ladies and gentlemen, coming up here in just a moment, we're going to bring on our Pro Football Network draft analyst, Ian Cummings. We had him on early on in the week, and he had a lot to say about a multitude of players from the college football playoff performances that we saw between Michigan and Georgia from Alabama, Cincinnati. He always has a lot to say. So I'm going to bring on our Pro Football Network draft analyst, Ian Cummings, right now as we preview a little bit more about the college football national championship game on Monday between Alabama and Georgia. Ian, great to see you here once again my friend how are you doing good cody doing good just uh you know wrapping up some scouting reports on some offensive linemen in the trenches you know that's where the uh the best the best stuff happens on the field so happy <laughs> to talk more football man good to see you Hey, well, great to see you as well, my friend. Well, hey, speaking of the trenches, obviously this matchup on Monday, the national championship, Alabama versus Georgia. I mean, it's going to be a great rematch from early on in the season. The first round proved that the games are won in the trenches. Now, when you look at both these teams, 
how do they kind of match up inside the trenches in this matchup? Georgia's offense versus uh, Alabama's defense and then vice versa, Georgia's offense versus Alabama's defense. Yeah, well, we got a nice preview of that in the SEC championship game. I mean, like just a couple weeks ago, really. So we got a nice recent example. And it was an interesting game for sure. Both teams have a lot of prospects on both sides of the ball. You start with Alabama's offense versus Georgia's defensive line. I feel like we have to start there because, I mean, you got Evan Neal versus Jordan Davis and Trayvon Walker, Devontae Wyatt. With Walker and Jordan Davis and Neal, that's three potential first-round prospects right there. And then Alabama has a nice right guard. And Emil Echior, I'd rate him more as a mid-round pick, maybe mid to late round pick. and be a good power guard, but might be a little team dependent at the next level. Evan Neal is the guy to watch. I think him matching up against Trayvon Walker on a few snaps. Nolan Smith, who's a very good run defender for his size. He's a little undersized with like 6'3", 235. So he doesn't look like he'd be able to hold his own, but he's very strong for his size. He's very well-balanced and flexible. And on top of that, he's got great athleticism. He's got great pass rushing potential too. So I look at Nolan Smith, Trayvon Walker, Jordan Davis, uh, Devontae Wyatt. That's a stacked defensive line. And we saw how they completely dismantled a Michigan offensive line that actually won the award for the best offensive line in the nation. So that's just, you know, that's an example of how talented these guys are. And you look at how they match up. I think Evan Neal is going to be the catalyst for Alabama's offensive line. But I think, you know, even if that line doesn't hold up, you got Bryce Young, who's one of the most evasive, one of the most creative quarterbacks in the league. And he's proven that he can, you know, stay poised under pressure. So I like Georgia in that matchup. I think that they have more talent across the board. Uh, but if you're looking to get pressure against Evan Neal, he's proven time and time again this year. He's improved his balance. That was one of his biggest issues coming into the season. And he's also improved his hands. He's become more of a technician with his power and athleticism. Still a little bit raw, but you look at his combination of explosiveness off the line and just that raw power. We talk about it all the time, but 6'7", 360. The guy is dense. The guy is strong. He's a mauler. And uh, we saw him moving Majay Sanders around all across the field in the first round. He's he's definitely he's almost a lock for a top 10 pick. You know, some people have him in the top three. I know I do. Uh, and he could be number one overall. If Jacksonville is number one, you look at them needing a tackle to pre uh, protect Trevor Lawrence. You know, that's a perfect fit and one of the best players on the board. So. He'll be that'll be a fun one. I think you're looking at Walker versus Neil. That's a really good matchup. And then also on the interior, see if Trayvon Walker uh, can get matched up along with Devontae Wyatt against Emil Ekior. That could be a mismatch for Georgia to exploit as well. Well, you know, something to look at as well. We talk about all the talent. And on the last episode of Between the Hashes, we talked about a lot of talent that the Baylor defense has. But when you look at this Georgia defense, I mean, they are loaded with potential NFL draft talent as well here. And, and looking at this matchup, the Georgia linebacker group in specific against Alabama and their high-octane offense, which can take off at any point in time. You mentioned guys like Bryce Young, obviously, really leading the charge there. How can they make an impact in this game against Alabama and all the weapons that they do have? Yeah, the uh, the linebacker group is actually underrated. Uh, underrated overall. I mean, you look at Nicobe Dean; uh, he definitely stands out. And we got to start with him, right? I mean, this linebacker class coming into the year, we were hearing a bunch of stuff about how it's a little weaker than normal. There wasn't anyone standing out, and Nicobe Dean came out and changed that. So did Devin Lloyd. But I look at Nicobe Dean. For me personally, I know it's more of a matter of preference because they've both been very good this year, but N'Kobe Dean is my personal LB1. I just look at his traits. You know, he's dense at around 6'1", 230. Uh, and then you just you look at the way he plays the game. He is a very smart player. I mean, he graduated with a mechanical engineering degree in three years. Just to give you an example of how smart he is, this guy processes very quickly. 
He's super instinctive with how he uses space. But then on top of that, he's explosive. I mean, when he triggers on plays, he can hit a really rare second gear and just slam into, into congestion. And he's a really physical player too. Like he's undersized against a lot of these offensive linemen, but he does not play like it. He plays bigger than his size. He's very physical, very energetic, and you know, just an armored energizer bunny out there in the trenches and just taking taking the fight to guys. So I love what he brings to the table. Uh, you look on, if you're looking for a good play to kind of en- encompass all of his traits, go back to Kentucky. They ran a screen to the left side of the field and they used a little misdirection to draw some players to the right. And they drew everyone except N'Kobe Dean, who saw the running back shading out to the left. So there was like three offensive linemen in that area. He fights through all of them and then explodes into the tackle point and gets the guy for a loss. He's a blue chip prospect at the linebacker position. He's grown into that LB1 and he's clearly the the commander of that defense but you look aside beside him too they have a couple other really nice linebackers and i had the pleasure of writing them up yesterday my favorite and he's a borderline top 50 guy for me is uh quay walker number seven on that defense guys like you'd have to do a double take you look at his page he's listed at 6'4 240 pounds he does not move like that he actually moves very well for his size uh, he's a very good lateral athlete can traverse the gaps and then you know obviously with his size he's got good play strength he can he can square up against blockers and hold his ground and fill those gaps. But then at the same time, I really liked him in coverage too. He uses his spacing very well. He's really good at processing, reading the quarterback's eyes and kind of adjusting his leverage uh, around that. So I look at that. And then obviously too, he's explosive in open space. He's really good in pursuit. Doesn't quite have that top end speed, but especially in the box uh, with his length and his explosiveness can really close ground and take guys down. So I liken him and this is more of a peak projection. All right. I'm not saying he's going to be this, but I think at his peak, if he can develop his pass rushing tools, which he definitely has the size and explosiveness to do it. I liken him to an Anthony Barr type of player. I think he has that upside with his size, athleticism, and he processes very well. So I look at that and Quay Walker, a very talented player, plays really well off of N'Kobe Dean. And then you got the other guy. He's not quite on the field quite as much as them, but number 41, Channing Tindall, another very fun player. He's long. He's a little low cut, so he's very athletic. He's definitely explosive. He came out of high school with a 39.6-inch vertical. So that's, you know, those high school numbers, those are kind of like a baseline. (laughs) Right. Like you kind of build off of that. And, uh, you know, having that already in high school just shows how naturally athletic he is. And it definitely pops on tape. He can close ground in an instant. He's not quite as consistent from a processing standpoint as the other guys, but might be the best tackler on this unit. And that's saying a lot because Nicobe Dean is a very good tackler. And so is Quay Walker. But Channing Tindall is so consistent at squaring up and launching into guys. Super physical player. Uh, comes down with a head of steam. I mean, these guys play off of each other so well, and they really set the tone for that Georgia defense. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how they play against Alabama. I know Alabama has a few tight ends, like Jaleel Billingsley, Cameron Latu. Those guys are going to have a very tough task because not only do Dean and Walker and Tyndall, not only do they lay the wood and set the tone, but they're athletic enough to make plays and coverage and stick with you downfield. And that's kind of scary when you see it in person. But, you know, these guys are very talented. I think, you know, playing off of that Georgia line, is going to present a lot of problems for that Alabama offense. But at the same time, they got Jameson Williams. They got Slade Bolden, who's pretty underrated, and they have a lot of other weapons too. So it's going to be a fun one. We saw it was a fun one in the SEC championship game. I'm really excited to see who uh, who wins the next uh, trading blow in this series.
Uh, it's going to be fun to watch. Obviously, some back and forth college football national championship is on Monday. And of course, Ian will have you covered at profootballnetwork.com. Ian, I'm going to keep it kind of cliche here for a moment, my friend. You, you did a great job breaking down the trench warfare we expect to see on Monday, right? Where all the blood, sweat, and tears kind of pours off in the back product of the success of what these guys are able to do. You kind of see it in the results of the play between both Georgia's defense and even Alabama's offense. It's always one in the trenches here, specifically when we talk about national championships. It's not always about finesse. But it, it, I want to kind of give you this two-part question here, right? Kind of on both sides. If Alabama, if the Crimson Tide are going to win this game against Georgia on Monday, what do they need to do? And then I'm going to flip it. If Georgia's going to beat Alabama, what is the number one thing you think they have to do in that situation as well? So for Alabama to beat Georgia, I would honestly say I think you got to prevent Georgia can take from taking control of the game. We saw against Michigan, you know, George, both of those teams are pretty defensive oriented, right? So we didn't really expect them to go like crazy on offense, but we saw early on Georgia, they're not barren on offense. You know, Stetson Bennett, not the flashiest guy in the world, but he's gotten the job done this year. You got Brock Bowers, who's an absolute freak at tight end. You got James Cook, who's very good, a very productive running back with really nice receiving ability. Uh, Zamir White, too, is a nice thunder to the lightning. And then Georgia has some nice offensive linemen, too. I neglected to mention them earlier, but Jamari Salyer has really improved down the stretch against South Carolina. Some other earlier games was a little shaky, but against Alabama in the conference championship actually had some really nice reps against Will Anderson. He's a powerful blocker who, once he gets his mitts on you, he can drive you into the dirt. So you got to be careful. Justin Schaefer, another one, too. So Georgia has some really nice guys on that line. I think the key for Alabama is preventing that offense from getting a lead and taking control because the Georgia defense is very capable of getting the stops they need to keep control. Once you get control, it can be hard to get it back. So I look at that Alabama offense and that Georgia defense or the Georgia offense. And I think that if you're Alabama going on the defensive line for Darian Mathis, Will Anderson and the linebackers too, I would maybe try and get Christian Harris coming downhill because he's very explosive as a blitzer. You want to hope that Jalen Armour Davis is healthy in the secondary because he's a very talented corner without him. Uh, they're a little, thinner on the secondary uh, with Josh Job on the outside. So, you know, looking at that defense just all around, make the plays. And another very important matchup, you mentioned Bowers. He might be going up against Jordan Battle, DeMarco Hellams, the safeties. I really like those two safeties. But Brock Bowers is a lot to handle. He's a freak athlete. He's got the size mismatch. So that's going to be big. I think if you're Alabama, prevent Georgia from getting those game-changing plays. Michigan couldn't do that. Their defense wasn't as cohesive as they needed to be throughout the game. And, it, of course, it helps when, you're, when your offense can actually string together drives, right? But I think for Alabama, prevent Georgia from taking control. And I guess, I guess the inverse is for Georgia, if you want to win the game, take control, right? I mean, like get those plays. I think especially important on defense because Bryce Young, we saw, you know, throughout the year, the, the narrative was Georgia is the dominant defense. No one can beat them and no one could. They allowed less than 100 points through the regular season. But then they get to Alabama and Bryce Young becomes the Georgia killer, you know, with his mobility, his ability to extend plays and go off script and, and keep his eyes downfield and find those windows, you know, with Jamison Williams and with Slade Bolden and some other young receivers that have been making plays as well in the absence of John Mechie, who unfortunately tore his ACL. You know, this is a deep offense that has a lot of weapons, can be hard to deal with. And they have enough guys on the line where they can at least move uh, defensive linemen. They can at least get enough time to facilitate plays. So I think if you're Georgia, you know, prevent Bryce Young from doing what he did in the SEC championship and taking over and kind of controlling the uh, the point of attack and controlling the pace of the game. I think that's key for Georgia. You know, it, it all stems from control. Both of these teams have the ability to get it and take it away. But by the same virtue, you know, the other team can take it away once you get it. So I, I expect some trade-offs. I expect it to be a little closer than last time. But, you know, if you're Alabama, 
prevent Georgia from taking control. And if you're Georgia, prevent Bryce Young from being that X factor that he was in the last one. A lot of great insight from our Pro Football Network draft analyst, Ian Cummings. Ladies and gentlemen, Ian's going to have a lot to say because the next time we do have Between the Hashes, it'll be on Tuesday. We'll get he and Ollie Hodgkinson's thoughts on the national championship, the outcome, and more. Plus, looking ahead to the NFL draft, scouting combine, senior bowl, all the other bowl games that we're going to be have here uh, towards the end of the college process leading up to the NFL draft, as always. But you get daily continuous coverage, profootballnetwork.com, under the college football and draft prospects there on the page. You can check it out there. Ian, appreciate you as always, my friend. Great work. Can't wait to talk with you on Tuesday. See you, see you Tuesday, Cody. Appreciate it. Uh, appreciate it. Ian's great, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, if you go back and you hear Ian talking about, for example, the, the Georgia linebackers, he mentioned a, a screenplay to the left side by Kentucky. He said it's on the left side of the field. How uh, There was a misdirection to the right, and everybody was fooled except the linebacker. That's how you know Ian Cummings has been in the tape. He's been watching it. And if you need to know which punter in this year's NFL draft can kick it sideways, can kick it perfectly out of bounds to the one-yard line, depending on which angle the wind is blowing downward or even north or vertical, they got you covered. Ollie Hodgkinson watches so much tape on punters and kickers. He'll have you covered with that. But to talk about college football in general and to talk about the national championship a little bit more in depth, we're going to bring on our Pro Football Network college and draft director, Cam Meller, as he brings his insight to the table. Let's welcome in Cam here on today's episode of the show. Cam, great to see. We just had a, a lot of great insight from Ian on some trench warfare between Georgia and Bama that he's looking forward to seeing. But, uh, man, look, we're just a few days away from the national championship. I know for you it's very exciting because you're a big-time college football enthusiasts and not to mention you do a lot of great work at pro football network it's uh it's the best sport i know uh we work for pro football network but come on it's we're pro <laughs> football here so football Amen. is king uh no i am going to take a second here to give kudos to my team to ian coming in and just catching the last 10 minutes it felt like he was talking and i felt like i heard 25 different stories the guy i mean when ian gets going when ollie gets going when the entire team gets going but especially those two when they're uh, clearly they've been doing scouting reports but clearly they've been doing their homework you mentioned it watching the tape grinding the film it's it's a privilege and it's an honor to run this department run this team so uh one final game for college football so i know i think the time slot is tremendous the the extension of the nfl season i think that needs to be talked about a little bit more everybody's going to be jonesing for monday night football after week 18 What's Monday Night Football this week? Alabama versus Georgia 2.0, the national championship game. That's perfect. I mean, you couldn't have asked for a better matchup between these two teams as well. Now, I, I kind of want to ask you, starting things off here, you know, looking at this game, who are some young prospects potentially that are going in this year's NFL draft that you really have your eye on between Georgia and Alabama that you feel like can make a difference in the outcome of this game for their teams respectively? Yeah, we've seen multiple wide receivers make a hit and make a splash in the NFL recently out of these stacked two draft classes from receivers i'll stay right there though Jameis williams the guy who transferred away from ohio state because he needed to you know some balls to come his way some snaps some some targets so what does he do he becomes a blitnikoff finalist he explodes he's got more 50 yard catches or catches of 50 yards or more than anybody in in recent history up there with Devonte smith i the guy's a game changer and he proved it this last time they met so honestly watch Jamison williams but also i think he's nfl ready there's a chance that he comes in high draft pick could be drafted higher than his former Ohio state teammates or right on par with them, but to a team is going to need him and he'll be able to play honestly as a wide receiver one, or at least a wide receiver two from day one in a fall camp. So Jamison Williams is there. And then if you send it to the next draft class, obviously the headliners, Bryce young. So I don't need to spend a lot of time. Everybody's going to hear about Bryce young. We've saw him win the Heisman. He has a chance. I mean, there's an off chance. He throws for 5,000 yards this season with this game with another great performance. It's, it's, it's ways off, but he can still get there. But, 
the first Alabama quarterback to win the Heisman Memorial Trophy. It's a that's a testament in its own right. But honestly, I'm going to take it to the other side of the ball here. There's another guy that I want to talk about a little bit, shed some light on. It's Jalen Carter, defensive tackle for Georgia. Same high school as Warren Sapp. He's an inch taller, 10 pounds heavier as a college sophomore, but they play the exact same game. Jalen Carter up the middle, 6'3", about 3'10". He moves like a younger, nimble, spry Warren Sapp. So he's his own guy. He's Jalen Carter, but he looks so much like Warren Sapp did in college at Miami, also in his early days with the Bucs. So Jalen Carter, he needs that uh, that breakout performance to set the precedent for next season. He's playing alongside one of the talent, most talented defensive lines that we've ever seen in college football, so the snaps are uh, at a premium. But Jalen Carter, when he's on the field, watch out for him. Well, this is going to be a fun physical matchup, I think, between both teams. And not everyone's talking about the SEC championship. You know, this is where Alabama kind of came out, you know. And I think that one of the questions that many people have is, you know, how will the defense look against Bama without Dan Lanning? I, I know that's one conversation, one talking point there. Obviously, now the head coach for the University of Oregon Ducks, their, uh, you know, team I root for and, and support very well. It's a lot of changes around the college football landscape. But, you know, more importantly, I wanted to ask your thoughts on how you really see this matchup going between when you look at both these teams. It's going to be a, a smash mouth, physical style of game. Do you imagine with this Georgia defense, Alabama will be able to generate those types of explosive plays that they're able to in the SEC championship? Or do you feel like Georgia might have the perfect rebound this time? It's it's tough to say and tough to go against Nick Saban at this point of his career and this point of our lives watching him coach the game of football. Yeah. Landing obviously means a lot to that defense. It, I mean, for Oregon to understand that, allow him to coach the college football playoff semifinal game and then still go on to be the head coach after that, that speaks enough to Landing and his sort of his feel and his approach to the game that he wanted to finish at least that portion. But to me, as many upgrades and changes that Kirby Smart can make as the head coach of Georgia, that will maybe, you know, cause or, or fill the discrepancy in the void from the SEC championship game, Saban will have that many more adjustments himself. So honestly, they got out coached. Georgia did in the first game. I don't see why with a month in between, just one little hiccup there, one game against Cincinnati in between there that he didn't show much, didn't have to that Nick Saban won't outcoach Kirby Smart again. I think that, that Alabama has that continuity in the staff, obviously, is helpful, but also this young core of players that he can coach and mold to uh, to essentially outcoach and outplay this Georgia team again. Oh, based on, on your evaluations, watching tape, knowing these prospects, how do you see this game going on Monday? I mean, obviously, everyone's going to be tuning in, like you mentioned. There's probably not going to be – I mean, this might this could end up being one of the most watched college football national championships of all time, potentially, considering where it's at in terms of the primetime slot, no NFL action then. Uh, in your opinion, what, is, what does Alabama have to do to win this game, and what does Georgia have to do? They need to weather the storm early on from the defense. When the defense is out there thrashing, the wide or the linebackers are crashing, they're blitzing their elaborate scheme packages that they're going to do. Uh, and they need to stop Georgia's scripted offense through the first 15 plays. That's when they sort of do their most damage, their best damage at least, uh, containing both Zemir White and James Cook, the two-headed running back uh, monster, I guess you could call it. Cook out of the backfield is a big one to stop. But Brock Bowers as well, Ian mentioned him too. I mean, this is a guy who, not only could be tight end number one or should be tight end number one for the 2024 NFL draft, but he could make a run to be the best player overall in that 2024 draft. That's how talented this kid is, the Georgia tight end. So stopping Bauer, stopping Cook, stopping that scripted offense, I think we're going to see some elaborate blitz packages from Alabama themselves through those first 15 plays in the first quarter, set the precedent, set the tone. But I see Nick Saban and Alabama running away with it in the end. 
Oh, well, absolutely. Nick Saban, it's hard to bet against him, as you mentioned there. And ladies and gentlemen, you can check out all the continuous coverage leading up to the National Championship, during the National Championship, and afterwards, all the fallout at ProFootballNetwork.com. Our college and draft department do a fantastic job under Cam Miller. They are constantly cranking out content and articles. Plus, you get the recap here on Between the Hashes. Cam, I just want to say thank you so much for your time here today. Appreciate you. And obviously, you know, we can't wait for this matchup, and I can't wait to hear your insight about it next week. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. Also, tune in Saturday, too. Our guy, James Fergoza, starting up with us fresh after editing this past year, too. He's going to start writing more. We're going to cover the FCS National Championship as well between North Dakota State and Montana State. So stay tuned for some FCS content, too, because why not? Hey, why not? Absolutely. And ladies and gentlemen, in the future, you know, we may even decide on it before that, but we may have a watch party here for the national championship for those who maybe can't do it. We'll see about that. We'll let you know. We'll put out an official announcement if, in fact, it is feasible for us. But we appreciate you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in to today's episode of Pro Football Network Weekly Production of Between the Hashes, a college football and NFL draft podcast. Check out all the amazing written content, profootballnetwork.com under the college football and draft categories. They have you covered there, profootballnetwork.com. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Cody Rourke, host of PFN Weekly, sitting in here on Between the Hashes here today. We'll see you on Tuesday for a brand new episode of the show. Complete recap of all things college football plus the national championship fallout. We have you covered.